now I can hear me too. So, but I hear, I, okay, I'm just going to keep going. So we at First SF are not rigid in our celebration and our observance of Advent. The, the way it all fell in the calendar, it's a little weird this year, but this is our first Sunday of Advent. When I was a kid growing up, my church, Advent was a really big deal. We followed very, uh, very, very clearly and carefully the church calendar, and I remember being so excited about it. In my church, we decorated our tree with something called chrismons. Does anybody grow up with chrismons in their, on their church trees? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They were ornaments that were made. They were gold, um, like sequins and pearls, and they were all in the shapes of the uh, symbols of the church. And that filled our tree in the Lutheran church when I grew up, and they were beautiful and sparkly. And I, I loved coming to church on the first Sunday of Advent when that, church would, when that tree would be decorated. And I loved each week as we added another candle to our Advent wreath, the anticipation that just watching one more candle each week and, and looking so forward as a kid to the lighting of the white candle, which happened on Christmas Eve when I was growing up. Advent's really a very simple idea. The word Advent really just means coming or arrival. And the idea behind an Advent season or a time of Advent is to prepare ourselves for the arrival of Christ as we celebrate his human birth at Christmas. God's people waited hundreds of years for the arrival of Christ. They had heard prophecy. They knew that God had promised them a Savior, a Messiah. And they waited and we wait looking forward to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Our... um, all right, our hope and our plan in our Advent season here at First SF is to focus over these next few weeks on the idea of anticipation. Um, the idea of anticipation in, in our modern Western Christmas culture um, is, is very normal, right? We anticipate the coming of Christmas. We used to anticipate the coming of Christmas um, as something that kind of happened after Thanksgiving. Now it's like August, I think. I think my girls, I'm pretty sure we're listening to Christmas music at the end of the summer. Um, so it keeps being pushed back. But really, as we move into Thanksgiving, this anticipation begins to build, and we look forward to Christmas music. We look forward to Christmas lights and, and Christmas decorations. We look forward to Christmas parties and to the giving and to the receiving of gifts. That's the positive side of it. Some of us anticipate Christmas negatively. We, we anticipate loneliness. We anticipate disappointment or grief or other things that sometimes seem magnified in the harsh, bright, glittery lights of our modern um, Christmas expression. But our hope this year really is that whether you come into it full of good, sentimental, sweet hopes or whether you come into it a little anxious um, at, at sad, lonely feelings that you fear this Christmas, our hope is that all of that would really fade away as we anticipate the true magnitude of what happened at Christmas. So I have one Christmas in particular that I actually remember. I remember a little, I remember the general idea of Christmas growing up, but there's one specific Christmas that I remember, and I remember it for all the wrong reasons. I wanted a phone that year. I was 13 years old, and I wanted a phone. Now, phones back in that day looked like this. This should be a picture... Do we have a picture? Oh, it's on the side. For, I guess we're out up here. There's on the side. It was an old little cream-colored push-button thing that had a cord. 
And I wanted a phone, but I didn't just want that kind of phone. I wanted this phone. It was a phone in a box. It had wood trim and genuine naga hide. And I thought it was so suave and sophisticated, perfect for a budding young capitalist like I was at age 13. But I didn't just want a phone in a box. I wanted my own phone line, my own number. Now, back in those days, they called it a teenager line. So the phone book, which was a really thick book that had everybody's address and phone number in it, it would say, like, my dad's name, John Gakey, and then our family phone number, 8364706 at that time. And then indented below that, it would say, teenager line. It was the iPhone X of my generation. <laughs> Everybody who was anybody had a teenager line. And I was 13 years old, and I wanted that phone. And in my house at Christmas, my parents went all out. We would have had many, many gifts to open. And as Christmas approached, my mom would slowly put them under the tree. And I remember looking for one that was phone-sized. Because in my world, I had asked for it. I would surely get it. On Christmas Eve, which in our German tradition is when we opened all of our gifts, I opened gift after gift, and there was no phone. And I was hacked. I don't remember anything that I actually got that Christmas. All I remember is what I didn't get, that phone. And I had anticipated a phone. I did not get what I anticipated. And in the end, I cared nothing about the generous bounty of gifts that I had received. Now, a little postscript. I did get that phone two months later on my 14th birthday. I didn't get the cool phone in a box. I got the cream-colored one, but I did get my teenager line. 836-7797. Now, I share this story about the phone because I think this is so often really what happens for us as we move into Christmas. We build Christmas up in such a way we have so much anticipation for so many things that it is almost sure to disappoint us because we anticipate the wrong things and then we fail to notice and to celebrate the gift that we do receive. Now, the beautiful thing for Christians is that every year, every Christmas, we celebrate the most amazing gift year after year. But as Christians, our understanding of that gift never reaches its culmination here on earth. We keep learning, we keep understanding more and more year after year of what it means that we have received Jesus as our gift and our hope for salvation. And that is our hope this year, that we would learn and understand a little bit more, that, that we will anticipate as we learn and understand a little bit more over the next three weeks the, the true magnitude and the true gift of Christmas. And in that, that we will not be disappointed because it is what deep in the heart, the deep longings of our heart, what we hope for. So our Advent series here at First SF is going to be based in the book of John. And if you want to go ahead and turn to the book of John, please do. We're going to be in John 1. Our Advent series is going to be based on John 1, verses 1 through 16. Those verses may not seem overly Christmassy to you, but they very much are Christmassy because those verses deal with Christ's incarnation. 
That word incarnation means essentially embodied in the flesh or taking on flesh. And the incarnation of Christ is a central Christian doctrine that explains the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh. That God the Son took for himself a human nature. And that is what happened at Christmas. So we're going to start today with the first five verses of John 1. I'm going to read these. Y'all read along with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. And I think these are some of the most beautiful um, words in all of Scripture. Some of the most beautiful prose in the Bible. They're not beautiful in a flowery sense. I think they are beautiful in this very interesting way in which they are written. And they're not just beautiful and interesting, but they are powerful and they are magnificent. Because these words tell us so much about the true miracle. And I don't use this word lightly about the true awesomeness of Christmas. And so I want to unpack these words with you a little bit today. As we do this today, this is what I'm asking you. Think about these words and think about how they impact your perception of a little baby sleeping in a manger. The first point is this, that little baby was here in the beginning. It says, as we start in, in this passage in, first, in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. These words open this section, and John, in, in essence with these words, is beginning a theme of really what is the entire book of John, and that's, he's telling us how, the Word, which is Jesus, how the Word who was with God in the very beginning, how that Word, how Jesus broke into our history with skin on, how the Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus whose birth we celebrate, so that the grace and the glory of God might be perfectly revealed, but also might be perfectly shared with the entire world. For many of us, if, we've, if we have any history in Scripture, John's opening line here, in the beginning, it should take us back to the beginning of all of Scripture. Genesis 1-1, which begins how? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is taking us back to the beginning. He's taking us back to the creation of the universe. He's taking us back to the beginning of time as we know it. But he's not just taking us back there. In the way that he describes the, the word's presence at this time, he is taking us further back than the beginning of time as we know it. Because as big as it might be to imagine God and Jesus at the beginning of time, God did not begin with the creation. God is eternal. There was a point in time when the universe did not exist but there was never a point when God did not exist. 
Isn't that crazy to even try to contemplate? It really is. For me, the whole concept of eternity, both eternity forward, the thought that, that as a Christian I will live for eternity with God, that's hard to grasp, but also the thought of eternity backward. To me, that, that whole idea of eternity, that's the essence of faith for me. It's a powerful concept. It, it's, it's the essence of faith because I don't think that any of us have the, the capacity to fully contemplate or understand that God is eternal. It's, it's the same way I feel about the, the physical reality of the universe. I, I have a hard time comprehending that how does the universe work and, and does it end somewhere? And if it does end, what's beyond it? If there's an edge, what's on the other side of the edge? It's, it's a crazy thing to contemplate, but just because it's hard to contemplate does not mean that it is not true. It is true. God has never not existed and he will never cease to exist. He was here in the beginning. John takes us back to this point in time when the eternal God created the universe. And he says Jesus was already with him then. The word was existent at the beginning. And he tells us that this baby whose birth we celebrate was not just with him then, but he was him then. Think of this. Think of eternity in that manger. That leads us to number two. That little baby is God. When he says, as I mentioned earlier, when he says the word, he's talking about Jesus. John is stating an amazing, amazing foundational component of our Christian theology. Jesus, or the word, is God. When he says that the word was with God, he's not saying the same thing like as if if I said, I was with Ryan in his office when he wrote his last sermon. It's not like Jesus in this passage, John is saying that Jesus was in the creation control room. Sort of going, oh God, awesome mountains. And that platypus, hilarious. <laughs> it's more than just physical proximity. The word with here means something deeper. It means something deeply intimate, but also something deeply intertwined. When John says that the word was with God, he is saying essentially that the word first is a person, both distinguishable from God, but also enjoying a deeply intimate, intertwined relationship with him. But not just that. It is a relationship, but it is more than that because John does not stop there. He says the word was with God, deeply intimate and, intimate and intertwined. The word was with God. And the word was God. Again, I love how mind-blowing this has to be for us. So richly does this show us that God is not like us. What he's saying there is that the Godness, what makes God God, belongs to God the Father, but he also belongs to Jesus, the Son, the Word. The word was with God in a deeply intimate relationship. And the word was God. The word was God's own self. John wants to make it clear here. The words and the deeds of Jesus on this earth were the words and the deeds of God. 
such a profound and powerful mystery. As we move into Christmas this year, think of God in that manger. Number three, that little baby is creator. Starting in verse two, as if he's, it's kind of like he's trying to hammer this point. He's trying to make sure we get what he is saying here. John specifically ties Jesus with the creation. I love this sentence. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What a superbly crafted mouthful. We read that at our table this, year, this week, and my daughter was reading it, and she's like, trying to get that out. It's, it's, a, it's a beautifully crafted sentence because it says so much, and it says it so powerfully. We've, he says, basically, all things were made through him, and not anything was made without him. So what does that tell us as we move into this Christmas season? We've already established that he was here at the beginning and that he was here before the beginning. But John is saying, just to be very clear, the word is creator. He, as part of the Godhead, the Godhead being God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. The word, or Jesus, as part of the Godhead, created everything He existed for all of eternity. He was here at the beginning. He clearly is not created. Jesus is creator. And when man, his creation, sinned, God promised that evil would not win. And that a savior would come to defeat the enemy. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, said in chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 7 and 8, he said that Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Creator saving the created. Think of the Creator in that manger. Number four, that little baby is life and light. John says here in chapter one, verses four and five, that in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus in the flesh is the embodiment of life and he is the enlightenment of heaven. He is the overcomer of the evil, dark world of sin. John, later in this book, will, he will often give e- illustrations that, that sort of highlight the duality of light and dark. This, this book was written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the book of 1 John. He does it there as well, often highlights the duality of light and dark. Darkness in these pictures represents Satan and sin and lies and evil and corruption. Light represents holiness and truth and hope and redemption and salvation. In John 8, 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John says here that the light, or Jesus, shines in the darkness, and it cannot be overcome by the darkness. Evil holds no power over Jesus. Evil can hold people in darkness, 
by blinding them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But when John says evil has not overcome the light, he is reminding us that evil will not win. And even those who today are blinded by evil can have their personal darkness pierced by the light and life of Jesus. This little baby whose birth we celebrate in a few weeks is life. And he is light. What does it mean that he is life and light? I mean, beyond just the fact that we breathe. It means eternal life for sure. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He reminds us there that a saving belief in Jesus means that we can live with him now and for eternity in heaven. But what else does it mean? Life and light. Jesus includes a very specific promise of abundant life later in this book in John 10.10. He says the thief, and the thief represents death and darkness. He says the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, the little baby in that manger, I have come to give you life and to give it to you in abundance. Life and light include freedom. John 8, 36 says, if Jesus sets you free, then you are free indeed. It is the promise of fearlessness. Matthew 6, 33 says, if we seek Jesus first, if we seek that baby in that manger first, we need not be anxious about anything. It's a promise of advocacy with the Father. 1 Timothy 2, 5 calls Jesus our mediator. He is mediating between us and the Father in heaven. It's a promise of rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 says, it tells us to come to him if we are weary and heavy laden and he will give us rest, rest for our souls. It's the promise of peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus' peace, I give to you. And it is so much more light and life includes forgiveness and purpose and fulfillment and wisdom and hope. And, and an ongoing list. Isaiah 53, 5, which is a prophecy that foretold Jesus' coming, described what life and light looks like powerfully. He says, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastening that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Life and light equals peace and healing. In relationship with the God of the universe who also created us. Jesus, that little baby, existent eternally, one with God, creator of everything. The definition of life and the giver of life, the embodiment of the life that cannot be overcome by darkness. Think of that this Christmas, the giver of life and light in that manger. Number five, that little baby is the gift that keeps on giving, and he is the gift you are called to give. So we give gifts at Christmas ostensibly as a way to commemorate the gifts that were given to Jesus by the three wise men. Remember that they brought, they brought Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
Those gifts were given to honor Jesus. And the idea is that we give gifts to others to, to likewise honor Jesus. And I'm not really sure how legitimate that is in our modern consumerism focused society. I mean, it's hilarious to watch commercials this time of the year, right? Every one of them is obviously designed to make us buy something as a gift. We watch a lot of TV channels that obviously a lot of old people watch. Because I have, you know, I've seen more ads for the little button, you know, when you fall down and you can't get up. Um, there's some pretty hilarious ones on there. We, we, we laugh at them. But we also started getting catalogs in the mail. We're so consumer-focused. I mean, how many, of you ki- how many of your kids are just consumed with, with their lists of wants and desires? And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't give gifts, but I, I think maybe we need to think about gifts a little bit differently. Think about it this way. We were given a great gift in Jesus, really the greatest. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable, inexpressible gift. And as we've seen today, the God of the universe became a man. He took on the form of a servant to free us from the shackles of sin and hopelessness and and to give us eternal life. He, He who is life and light came here so that we could be reconciled with God now and for eternity So that our lives could be enlightened in a way that allows us to experience joy no matter our circumstances. And while we enter relationship with him in an instant, the gift of life and light that we receive each Christmas only grows richer as we grow in relationship with him. My desire to celebrate his birth should grow more intense, not less, as I get older and as I understand more and more of what I have received in him and more and more of what I continue to receive in him. All of that is certainly worth celebrating at Christmas. Would you agree with that? But it is not just worth celebrating. It is worth sharing. So I might buy Stephanie, my wife, a lovely new toaster for Christmas. (laughs) And I might give it to her and say, in honor of the birth of Jesus, I am giving you a toaster. And there might be value in that. But truly what we are called to give as Christ followers who have received so much. What we are called to give is the hope of the gift of life and light. Life and light are only given by God. But we are called to give. We are called to share the message of life and light. That has saved each of us who know him. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus tells his followers, which when he talks to his followers, that would be all of us who claim to know him and have a relationship with him, everyone who calls themselves a Christian. Jesus tells them this, that he says, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. We have received life and light, and we now bear witness to it in the worlds where God has placed us. And the purpose of light is never to hide it. The purpose of light is always to penetrate the darkness. The purpose of light is to share it for us. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
If this year you want to truly honor the gift of life and light that we have been given in Jesus, share the gift with the world around you. That would put Christ back in Christmas. Give the toaster. Fill the stockings. Have fun. Be generous. But don't just stop there. Give the gift that you have been given in him. I was on a run yesterday, and I was just overwhelmed with this reality. I just came home and wrote down all these thoughts. We have been given this amazing gift by God, and we have been uniquely gifted by God to bring him glory. Each of us designed on purpose and for a purpose. And I believe that because of that, because we are so intricately created, we are more than just flesh and bones. Because God has also put in that, in the beautifulness of the design of each person in this room, he has put eternity in our hearts. And this is true whether you have accepted him or not. He has put eternity into our hearts. He has put something in each person in this room, in our hearts, something that beats for more to life than just the futility of the day to day. And we are prone to spending our lives trying to satisfy the deep longing of our hearts. But here we are as we begin this Christmas season. Here, each one of us invited to meet the king. And this king is very different. He doesn't demand royal gifts. He just demands that striving, hurting, hungry, beating heart. And when we let go of it, when we release our heart to him and surrender it, our longing, beating hearts are satisfied. This king, God, the Word, eternal Creator, the giver of life and light. He left His throne and all the trappings of heaven and came down to us so that we could call Him Father. And He could call us sons and daughters. He was in that manger. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And He is still with us. Still offering us light and life. So this morning, and as we head into the season, how do you respond to that? As you anticipate Christmas this year, I just have a couple of thoughts for two groups of people in this room. First of you, first of all, if you, number one, if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, whether you have a rich, vibrant relationship with him right now, or whether you have one that feels like either a gift from the past or a gift that will only take effect in the future, no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, will you ask him to show you the value of the gift you have received this year? Will you prepare your heart for Christmas, Christmas by asking him to give you a true, clear, enlightened picture of who was lying in that manger? Will you ask God to magnify the magnitude of your salvation this year. 
And for everyone else, you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you are holding tight to your heart, unwilling to surrender it and striving to find what you are looking for and many other things. If that is you, my question is, will you just consider this? As hard as it may be to grasp, consider this, that there is a God. And he created the universe and he created you. And sin messed it all up, but he had a plan to save it. He had a plan to save you. And that plan meant that he came in the flesh as a baby. Born in a stable, in the most humble of circumstances, to be a servant and to ultimately die for you. Would you just consider that today? Because all of the hoopla of Christmas is really just about that. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us in order to save us. That can be yours today. And Christmas will never be the same for you. I want to spend some time and just I want you, if you're in this room and you're saved, I want you to contemplate that. If you have a relationship with him, contemplate what it means. Contemplate who was actually in that manger. Ask God in this moment to magnify the magnitude of your salvation. And during this time, if you don't know him, would you just consider it? What would it hurt? Just consider this reality. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have a little bit of time just to reflect, and then I'll come back up and close out this time. God, sometimes I confess I, I'm, I'm very prone to, to the sentimental. I love memories of my childhood. I love the thought of uh, relationships um, with people. I love the sweetness of the holidays, but sometimes, God, my sentimentality can cause me to lose sight of the magnitude of what happened at Christmas, to lose sight of the reality of who was in that manger, eternity in that manger, God in that manger, creator in that manger, the giver of life and light in that manger. God, I pray as we spend this time, God, that you would just... um, uh, no matter where we are, if, you're in this, if we're in this room as a believer in you, God, that you would just um, fill us with a, a sense of what it really means that we are in, re- what you did for us in Christmas, and that the result of that is that we can be in relationship with you and be known by you. And God, for people in this room who don't know you, God, I pray that at the very least today, God, that their hearts would be open to considering the truth of what Christmas is really about. God, thank you so much for this time. God, I pray you would work in hearts um, in the next few minutes. We love you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a few moments to reflect and I'll come back up in just a minute.